This is the first edition of Diego's Fridays. Welcome to Diego's Fridays. Today, you will have the privilege to listen to me interviewing Father Brian Testari. I hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome to um, my first edition of what's going to be Diego's Fridays. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm talking to Father Brian Testari, a priest at St. John the Baptist Church. Um, he's going to be the first one to uh, kind of kickstart this like new project that I'm going to have. So I'm very excited to have him here. Uh, Father, how are you feeling today? I'm doing well, yeah. I'm doing good. Thank you. That's good. Um, so obviously, knowing you've been here for a couple of years now, um, it, it's it's been interesting to kind of see like the way that things have changed around here. And mm. um, I remember still like the first like couple of days before like it was announced that you were coming. Like, how are you feeling now that like you kind of like become accustomed to the parish? How how's that for you? It's good. I've been here. So I've been here six years. I, I came in July of two thousand seventeen. And I came from Woonsocket. I had two parishes in Woonsocket, uh, my final year there. And um, so when I came here, I knew it was going to be challenging because the Spanish language, because even though I learned it back in 2000, and, well, I've been trying to learn it for a big part of my life in high school, college, but I'm a little slow in learning languages. So when I finally went to Honduras um, in 2005, and I spent a year there, and I went to school in Guatemala for a month. I learned Spanish, but I hadn't spoken it. So when Bishop Evans asked me about coming here in 2017, he says, how's your Spanish? And I said, well, I haven't used it in about 12 years. So he says, well, start practicing. So, so that's when I came in. And it's been good the past six years, but I mean, it's still not, like that's probably my biggest challenge, not being a native Spanish speaker. So if I, I wish I could speak better, you know, but so it is. But it's been, been good over the past six years. I've gotten to know a lot of the families and, through good times, bad times, sacraments, sick, dying, different things that, you know, happen there. Yeah. How did you feel, though, like, coming coming into, like, like this, like, environment? Obviously, it was, it was a little bit, I think, difficult for, like, the community, obviously, because mm-hmm. Father Jerry had been here for so long, yeah, and I feel years, like, yeah. um, I don't know, a lot of people uh, didn't take it the right way. A lot of people kind of yeah. felt like it was, it was different. They, they yeah. were accustomed to change. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's it's always been that way, you know. I I've been, I was a Franciscan priest for seven years. We we didn't have parishes, but so when I came to the diocese, and then we we were in parishes. Um, every time a priest you come to a, a new parish, there's always that change because people get used to the priest, and especially Father Jerry, like you said, I think he had been here. Was he eleven or thirteen years? Maybe eleven, but so he was here a while, and so when that happens, anything you do is a change. And unfortunately, it shouldn't be, if you're teaching the Catholic faith, it shouldn't be a big shock to people, you know. But, but a lot of times people, they judge the, it's the personality and whatnot. And so, so for example, um, I know when I first got here, I'm more of a private person. I keep the rectory kind of locked. It's where I live. It's my home, you know. And Father didn't. He had it all open, this and that. People came in at all different times. And so and so that was something that I changed and, and people didn't like, you know. <laughs> but it's my home, you know what I mean? So it's one of those things I, I hopefully, some people do let those things become big things. And like, um, but I like to say, like, it's not like I go to people's houses and have keep going anytime I want, you know what I mean? <laughs> but a lot of times people think, oh, the priest, he just lives in his section up there. We can, because people are coming in while masses are going on, they're having cookies, reading the newspaper, doing, so those are things like some changes that, 
you know, and unfortunately you get judged as being strict or this and that when you're just trying to, you're just trying to, every priest is different, you know. So, so I think it's been okay. I mean, the good thing is out of, there are some people who have left when I first got here, but very few, you know, so for the most part, most people have stuck around. In fact, I was looking at pictures yesterday with some of the parishioners and uh, old pictures we have and and I was looking, and most of the people are still here, still active with the events, the ones that were here before I came. Uh, I, I came. So, so I think some people, they just they get used to it. They get the change, you know what I mean? And over in time, you just try to win people over. You know, like I said, I, I teach the Catholic faith. That's not never going to change, but it's like it's the personality-wise. Um, uh, you know, like prayer is a big thing for me. So before Masses, I'm usually, well, I'm in confessions usually, or praying, you know, and um, that wasn't, always the case so like people saw that oh Father, what's this like is he a monk or what you know you get criticized for things that i'm supposed as a priest i'm supposed to be doing right you know so so but it's been yeah it's it's i think it's been i think people adapted i've adapted you know but every parish is different it's, it is a very interesting thing when you come to a parish you take over a priest that's been there a while because there's always going to be with no matter who it is you know yeah. yeah what do you think you've learned from like the community past like six or seven years um so let's see i think i know that a big part of when i first came i knew with the spanish the masses in spanish that it was going to be a very different experience for me um and and simple things like a majority of people come in late <laughs> you know to mass. you know things are very last minute very and uh during mass people walk go to the bathroom there's just a lot of movement going on so i knew i, I knew that ahead of time because i had seen that when i was in central america when I, so I said to myself, and I'm someone who was in religious life for 14 years, very regimented, you know, how I, and so I knew that was going to be either I'm going to get broken or people are going to, I'll try to create some kind of order, you know, and I think both have kind of happened. <laughs> so, so I think, I think overall it's been, it's, it's, it's been good, but I've learned, like I, I've tried to learn to adapt as much as I can. Like certain things, for example, with kids going to Baptist, I've kind of, I'm, I'm trying to be patient with it and things like that. So I think it's. It's it's helped me in, to be more to not to not overlook things, but kind of just I don't know, not get myself all upset. But I still have moments where I'm if I'm having a bad day and someone do you know I'm like <laughs> I, I make the face or whatever <laughs> my personality comes out. So it's one of those things that I just. But I, I think in general, the, what I found from the prisoners here, especially in the Spanish speaking community, which is much larger than English speaking, is just the warmness, the uh, familial aspect, the love of family openness uh you don't unfortunately always have that with the english english speaking it's more of our closed um and i think it's a difference in cultures yeah. you know it's it's um yeah because the same i mean even like when people don't there's certain in the spanish community there's a lot of people over the mass every week they'll come in every now and again yeah. but when they come back it's not like they missed it they come back smiling like i not a big deal <laughs> you know what i mean so it's just it's such an interesting attitude to see like it's yeah. it's a very just it's beautiful in a sense. I wish though that they would come every week, but it's, but that's some of the things that I learned a lot. Just the different because we have, just so people know, in this church, it's really amazing. I counted at one point about people from about seventeen different countries here, wow. and the most are Spanish-speaking countries. There is a group from from Africa, Ivory Coast. There is um, Cape Verde is a big one. Cabo Verde is that's a big one. A lot of people from Cape Verde majority of Colombian, but a lot of Central American, South American. So I've come, and originally this church was French, French Canadian. So there's still French words in the church yeah. and whatnot. So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a quite a mixed community here. That's yeah. Very cool. yeah. Yeah. 
so obviously like we talked about how you feel now and how everything's going on but I think like I want you to kind of go back in time and mm-hmm. see yourself when you started like like for people that don't know about like your story like could you like explain your story behind wanting to be a priest oh yeah yeah so so I grew up in Rhode Island westerly oh, which is southern part of Rhode Island actually Connecticut they had the border of Pawkatuck, Connecticut, not where we are now, Pawtucket, Rhode Island. But um, so I I grew up like a, I grew up with the Catholic faith, mostly Italian family. So we went to church all the time, received the sacraments. By tenth grade, I received my confirmation. But during those high school years, I kind of going astray. The typical high school, you know, just getting tempted by a lot of things. And so by the time I graduated, I, I went to URI. And my goal was just, I really didn't have one in life, you know. I just wanted to party. I joined a fraternity right away at URI, and then I really headed down. Stopped going to church at that point because I was on my own. I lived on campus at the University of Rhode Island. Um, and so at that point, I was never thinking about the priest. I mean, if I really went back, I could probably say when I used to be an altar server, because I altar served till I want to say I was in 10th grade. So there's probably a great priest I served under. So... There was that influence there that maybe the seeds were planted and my parents raised me in the faith of the priesthood, but I went astray. And then I had a big conversion in the, um, when I was eight, 18 years old, uh, let's see, it would have been 19 years old. So in 1993, um, I, I went on this retreat and the retreat really made me think about my life and whatnot. And then a few months after that retreat, there was a moment on the retreat that was very powerful with Jesus being crucified. And you could just hear in a microphone like the nails being pounded. And at that moment, it was a moment of grace. I just started thinking about, I need to change my life. And then a few months after that, a friend was killed uh, in a fight. And that was in uh, Westerly in April 16th, 1993. Very unusual, something like that to happen in Westerly. But a, a kid stabbed my friend and he, he died. And that actually really um, was a turning point. So I went on the retreat in February. That happened in April. I was feeling a lot of anger, wanted revenge at the person who did this. But thankfully, my the priest there, Father Ray Siriani, and the youth group at the church was just total supporter. Of course, my parents. And so I ended up bringing all that anger and stuff I had to God and being involved with the youth group. And then in July, I went on another retreat. It's called the um, Franciscan University of Steubenville. They have these summer retreats, a nice Catholic school. So I went there, and that really, that that moment... I was convinced, okay, I need to change my life to be holy. And so it was, so going back, February was the first retreat, April was my friend's death, and then July. That was all while I was 19 years old, 1993. Um, and then, then at that point, I ended up transferring over from URI to Steubenville as a college. So I only did a year and a half at URI, two and a half at Steubenville. And when I went there, it's a very nice Catholic school. It really helped me realize that the priesthood was my calling. Um, and then it was trying to choose, okay, diocesan priest or join a religious community and at first as I mentioned I went to this Franciscan Friars Renewal in New York upon graduation at 22 years old um, so so the long and short of it yeah big conversion to help me to focus on the priesthood I think the seeds were planted early on in, with my parents and the um, and the priests altar servant all that stuff but finally I came back second year into college with this big conversion experience and then it was just at that point, once I graduated, I knew uh, from student that's what I was going to be a priest. Yeah. Mm. So you you always said that your parents were always supportive of yeah, like yeah. your idea of like trying to become a priest. How did they react initially when you told them that 
like you had that idea and then like you were like kind of like go through with it they were they were very happy and i think i think my mom said it i, I can't exactly quote her but at one point she said something someone asked her a similar question she says he was bad and now he's good or something like that very simple like basically they knew i had, I put them through a lot. I mean, all those years, and uh, and it, there was moments really bad in high school and college where they didn't know if I was going to come back alive. You know, because I was really involved with the party and all that. So, for me to have this big change, and they also, they always were Catholic, but they even got more involved in their faith around that time my conversion was going on. And so, as they were getting more involved, they sort of such a blessing, you know. So, and then even going to the Franciscan community because here I am, 22 years old, moving to New York City to join this group that worked with the poor and the homeless in the South Bronx. And they knew they weren't going to see me maybe a few times a year. But they, I think they were just so grateful because they realized that I was answering God's call, that this was what God wanted for me. And unfortunately, not all parents uh, are like that because even some of my Franciscan brothers that I was with, um, like one of them who was from uh, uh, New Zealand, his parents says when he visited him at home, they wanted him to take his robe off <laughs> because they were kind of embarrassed that he joined this Franciscan. So yeah, so you actually believe it or not have parents who are, and in life's of the saints, you find that as, oh, parents were always supportive of people's vocations, but my parents were always supportive. And I think a big part is because they were being living their Catholic faith. And then the second one, because they realized how, where I could have, if I didn't change, change my life around, so yeah. So now that we kind of started like talking about like the beginning, I guess like it, it's only fair that we talk about how like your life now, like your like the priesthood. Yeah. Like describe your daily routine to me. Like what do you usually do on a on a daily basis? Daily basis. That's a great question. So yeah. So the the elements are the same, but the times might be different. So especially here because so it depends a lot on the mass schedule. So for example, if I start with a regular day like on a Monday, I we have eight o'clock mass in the morning. Same on Wednesday, and then Saturday morning is eight o'clock. So, those days where it's eight o'clock, I typically wake up a few hours ahead of time around six. I have my coffee, my breakfast, um, and then I take the dogs outside. I got two dogs, uh, both uh, almost fifteen. One of them one turned fifteen, so I have two older dogs. Um, and once I take them out, take them for a little walk, and then I um, come back and. Um, go to do some prayer, mass, some more prayer. So that's in the morning. And then usually on those days, like Monday, I'll come see what's going on in the office. People come to count the money. So I'll just be around. Monday's usually a busier day here. Um, and then sometimes we have the food bank at the end of the month here. So I did that yesterday. I went last night to be present there to the people that come to her to get food. Um, and then like Tuesdays, I'll wake up maybe an hour later because we don't. I don't have mass until tonight. Spanish mass to um, at seven o'clock, and so I usually go for a run in the morning, which I did. I do my usual routine with the dogs and everything, and then I go for my run, come back, uh, do some prayer, and then uh, we have uh, on Tuesdays here we have a hospitality house where there's a lunch at eleven thirty. So I'll go say a prayer for the people. Um, yeah, and then and then just be around, and then. Um, Wednesdays similar, although Wednesday to Thursday I go on my day off. I'm precept days off each week, so usually I'll visit my family in Wesley. Sometimes I just stay put here, but I'll usually leave around Wednesday mid-morning, around 11 or so, and then come back Thursday evening. Um, and then Fridays we have Mass at night, but we have adoration all day here. So usually I do my morning routine, and then I expose the Blessed Sacrament for the whole day of adoration. And then the weekends come. The weekends, of course, many people think that's when the priest is the most, it is the most busiest because 
usually around Saturday morning I have mass. There could be a wedding or a funeral, and funeral's gonna come at any day, any, and then, but by here the schedule is from 3.30 to 7, I do confessions, mass, confessions, and mass again, English, Spanish, and then on Sundays, English Mass at 9.30, and then Sunday 11.30 Spanish. And then usually I love Sunday afternoon, because if there's nothing else going on, I can just, I just lay low and rest and whatnot. So that's the usual routine, and then you gotta account for, we have hospice duty, which is at the, um, the um, Hope Hospice in here in Providence, and so twice a week we're on schedule, so we could get a call from them. If we're on duty for the day, it's from 9 a.m. to the next morning at 9 a.m., so anytime they could call us to go anoint someone. And then the other things is sometimes people are like, like on Friday last week, a person of ours is in the hospital at Rhode Island, so I visited her. Um, so there's always things like that that come in play. Today, the guy from the Rhode Island Energy wants to put in gas, new gas things in our rectory, so then there's always the maintenance, things like that. So a lot of people think the priest is just on the weekend, but there's always different things that happen throughout a week. We, we get just, you know, yeah. <laughs> just be open for anything, basically, yeah. yeah. So obviously, I mean, like you said, like there, there's a lot of things that you do during the week, but I think the, the one that I think most people think about is like you doing mass. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. Um, I think this might be like a, a very like rhetorical question, but like what is your favorite part of mass? Favorite part of mass? So it's, I think the most part is or just offering the mass. So like um, saying the prayers during the mass at the consecration when we say, you know, this is my body, this is my blood. Because we believe as Catholics, you know, that you're in the person of Christ at that moment, the priest, and you're actually on the cross with Jesus. Like, you're offering his body and blood, but he's using you to do this. So that's the most important. And it's interesting because most people, if you ask most people who come to Mass, you know, how they would judge a Mass, it's the homily. <laughs> they, always, they always say, what, what do the priests say? What do, and I always like to tell people, is that's actually the least important part. It's important, we're supposed to use the homily to explain the readings and how it relates to us today, but the most important part of Mass, like even if there was no homily, it's just offering it. You know, for example, when COVID was happening in the very beginning in 2020, we had the churches was closed. I had, uh, we weren't allowed to have public Mass for a few months, I think it was. So I still did Mass as a priest every day, uh, just by myself, so I was still able to offer the Mass no homily. I didn't have to worry about that. There's no one there, you know. Um, but so yeah, that's my my mine is just the, especially the consecration when we believe that the you know the bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Talking about COVID, uh, yeah. How how was that for you? Obviously, like I think for for a lot of us, it was kind of weird. Like just parishioners that come like weekly, like yeah. not coming here. Like I can't imagine how it must have felt for you. Like just being kind of in here by yourself. Like how how was that for you? Yeah, I, I'll be honest about that. I, you know, I, I didn't like that we didn't have Mass. I, I thought that that was a bad decision. Now, I, I, and thanks be God, I'm, I'm not the bishop that had to make that decision, you know what I mean? Because maybe I would have made the same decision. Because I know with COVID in the beginning, we didn't know where this was going, what, what is COVID, what, how, you know, how deadly this and that. So, but the one thing I did do is I kept the church open on Saturday and Sundays. The usual time we would have it open, I kept it open for people to come in and pray. And I still was available for confessions. I just kept that safe six feet distance, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so I did have it open, but it really, for me, that was the most difficult part is not offering the Mass. And um, and I one of the things I did do that, uh, and I don't mind admitting this, is during finally, it was around Easter time, 
I, I, when it was time for, I had adoration on Sundays. If anyone was there at 12 o'clock when I usually close the adoration on Sunday, I said, if you want to come receive communion, please do that. Uh-huh. And I probably could have gotten in trouble for that, but, <laughs> but I just, it was hard for me not to see the people for, like, like you said, it was so different. They couldn't receive communion. And, there's, and you could do it. I could wear a mask and give you communion, you know, in a safe way, you know. So, so it was, that was the hardest part, I think, for me. It's just, like you said, I think it was such a change for people. I think out of those times, when we, that's when we need God the most. Yeah. And, but with COVID, everyone was so scared that everyone just, we had everyone was hiding in their houses, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because they were afraid they were going to get it. Yeah. So I get that, but I, I, that was a tough part is not having the, um, the mask like that for a month or two, I think it was, you know? Yeah. Talking about how, like, that was obviously, like you said, like you left the, like the church open for prayers mm-hmm. and for all of that. Uh, what is like your favorite prayer that like you like like you've held like all all throughout like this time that you've like been a priest? Oh, uh, like, well, the mass. Yeah, of course, the mass. I mentioned like that. That would be offering the mass. But then what we do as priests, we pray what's called the breviary. So it's liturgy of the hours. So five times a day, we have a officer reading, a morning prayer, a daytime prayer, an evening prayer, and a night prayer. So we were obliged. We made a vow when we became priests to pray those. So I actually I like doing those. And then the rosary, of course, I like praying the rosary. Um, so those would be, uh, I guess, my favorite prayers. And but a big part is just sometimes just sitting in the church in silence, just being there. It's one blessing about, you know, with it being a priest and you live in a rectory. The rectory is usually always attached to the church. Here, I don't even need to go outside. I can just so I can go in at any time I want and just be in Jesus' presence and just sit there, and it's just so peaceful. And sometimes it's the most peaceful is when there's no one that's around. You know? so, so I and I probably should take more advantage of that. I probably should pray a lot more. I live right here, but so I, I think just a lot of that, just that silent time, um, just just sitting there. You know, that'd be my favorite. Yeah. Do you have any uh, like specific prayers that that you recommend like people like praying each day? Yeah. So I think praying the rosary is very important. I think that's I think because Mary, our mother, loves us so much, and so I think. And there's always that when you pray and asking her intercession, she's she's like a mother. How mother's supposed to be so caring and loving. So she's, so I feel like if there's any, any special attention, like this morning, I was thinking of a few of our parishioners who have cancer. So I, I put I prayed a few Hail Marys for them. Just say, okay, Mary, protect them today. Like one lady's just found out, and she's going into the doctors today. So so I remembered it from Saturday. I think when they told me that's that's today. I said so. I said a few Hail Marys, and so. I feel like when I can, I just entrust things to our blessed mother, then she gives them right to Jesus and mother, son, you know, combo there. So, um, so I think that's, I would say that, yeah, that's that prayer there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or overall, what do you think is your favorite part of being a priest? Favorite part of being a priest? I think it's offering the sacraments, you know, like last weekend, uh, like last week was a, Saturday was a perfect example. So Saturday I had five masses. And the reason why there was five, so I had my usual eight o'clock morning mass, and I do that bilingual, which is kind of neat, the Spanish, English, because we have both parishioners coming. Um, so that's only a half hour, that's in the morning. And then the next thing, we had an ordination at the cathedral of a, of a new priest for our diocese. So I saw all my brother priests, the new bishop we have, that was his first ordination. The old bishops were there, Bishop Evans and Bishop Tobin, uh, the retired, I should say, not old retired bishops. Um, and then after that, I came back for a wedding at two o'clock, um, and just to see the joy of this couple. This couple had been together 20 years, but just never married, you know, and um, two older kids, they did their readings, did a great job. So weddings are always beautiful. 
And then I got ready for the confessions at 3.30, mass again at 4.30, confessions at 5.30, mass again at 6. So by 7 o'clock, I was like, oh, that was, a, that was a productive day. You know, like I was involved with five different masses, you know, and, and some of them you didn't have to be like the ordination just to be there. The rest I had to obviously lead the masses and whatnot. But so I think that that was like that for me as a priest. I, I, I feel very fulfilled after a day like that when I was with all sorts of different people throughout the day um, doing the different sacraments. And then, I mean, if there was a funeral thrown in there, that would even have been, sometimes you have funeral Saturday mornings or something. And then, and they're all different elements. You have the joy of the wedding, you have the joy of an ordination, then you have the sadness if there's a funeral, you know. Um, so yeah, that would be my um, favorite part as a priest is just feeling more for the sacraments of the people. And that was one of the reasons why I left the Franciscans to become a diocesan priest because we didn't have parishes. So I would do Mass every day with the brothers, and we, we, we were very missionary. We'd go and do youth retreats and things like that. But we didn't have, like, this family, a parish family, that you're marrying people. You're, you're seeing them each week for Mass. You're finding out about their lives and their family. So that's one of the parts that I really enjoy as a parish priest is being um, part of a, of a family. You know, it's like that's what they're supposed to be. A parish supposed to be like a family, yeah. Talking about how, like you said, you were you were a Franciscan before, but yep. like you became like a diocesan priest. How was that? Obviously, I think yeah. like a lot of people like they they think of priests, you know, in, in a conventional way of being part of a diocese. But like when you're part of like a large group like that, I think it's it's much more different for people yeah. to understand yeah. what they do. Yeah, the Franciscan. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was very. Um, I, I miss the brothers. The brothers are great. That's we call each other brothers, and we have brothers and priests um, in the community. But it's um, so you grow up like with these guys. Like guys, I joined with. I had seventeen of us joined together in nineteen ninety six, right after college, and um, so I still am in touch with a few of those guys. You know, and uh, even though I'm not with them anymore, so that was the hard part of leaving the community. Um, but it was really that was rewarding too because you do even though you don't have a parish, you we had a homeless shelter. We took care of, we had a, a men's residence, men's residence where men, there was more of a, a step after a homeless shelter. Um, we'd go around in different parts of the country, even outside the country, doing youth retreats. Um, so you got to meet people on a broader scale. You got to see the wider Catholic church in a sense. So like, like in the Northeast here, for example, we don't have as many people going to church. If you go down South, Texas, South Carolina, churches are packed. So it's, that was a really neat thing is seeing the beauty of our church and on a global scale, and then I like I've I've been to um, I mentioned Honduras, Guatemala. I went to Jamaica. I've been to different countries, Ireland. Uh, I've done pilgrimages. So to see the church on that bigger scale as well is just it's beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really impactful. Yeah, and it's and it's funny because I thought be leaving the Franciscans that would be something I would miss all that traveling. Believe it or not, I don't. I actually like being just in one place. And maybe as I'm getting older, you see people get older, they just want to be, because I just like, I have my dogs here, I have my parish, and I'm just kind of fine. Just, and I don't like, I don't like a lot of change, you know? Yeah. So, and I don't like flying either. But I used to fly all the time, so things have changed in that way that I've become more like a homebody, sort of say, than, than before where I was more of a missionary. So, and, and, and I, I like it. I like just kind of being, you know, yeah. it kind of confirms that decision I made to leave, which was hard to do, leave the Franciscans, who I've been with 14 years, to then be part of it in a parish, yeah. Mm. Well, you've told me now that you kind of are kind of, you know, that as like, like, I guess like, 
interested when there's change. Yeah. How how does it feel? Obviously, like we we have a new um, a new bishop. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Like how does that feel? Obviously, I mean, for even for me, like I've I've seen like uh, Bishop Tobin for for years. Like I've yeah. I've really never seen like a, a transition other, to yeah. a different yeah. bishop. Like, how is that for like a, a priest? Like now that there's a new bishop around. Yeah. That's a great question. And for me, I've only been under Bishop Tobin myself because, I mean, there was before Bishop Mulvey, Bishop Jeleno, but I wasn't part of the Taoists of the Franciscans. So since I've been here in 2010, it's only been Bishop Tobin, and he's been a wonderful bishop. I really enjoyed him. He's, he's supported me through a lot of things. and friendship. We have friendship, but, but a father figure, spiritual father. Um, but so at first, when a new bishop comes, I think if I honestly, priests are probably like nervous. Um, it's almost like I was saying before when a new priest comes in now the parishioners like okay what this priest gonna be like we're like that as priests what is the new bishop gonna be like you know and so far I've really um, been very pleased with this bishop he's um he speaks Spanish which is wonderful um, does it right off the cuff he's very naturally speaking it you know um, he's also uh, very joyful looks like a very prayerful guy and very it looks like he's just continuing what Bishop Tobin was doing he's, he's so many times he's complimented Bishop Tobin and this and that um, and so I think it's it's gonna be good. Like I'm very pleased um, with him. He's already meet, meet with a lot of the priests individually, and I, I think his goal is to meet with all of us at some point, but he's met with a lot of them. He's been in a lot of parishes already, um, and, and even events like, like at St. Patrick's in Providence, there's a spread program, which isn't that one, uh, our parishioners Margarita works with that, and it's not that many people that come. These are the kids with special needs and whatnot. He already went there and had a mass and a dinner with them, you know, so like to see that, uh, it's just beautiful and the ordination this past week so so I think there's honestly there's a nervousness sometimes you know but but I think like th he's just kind of taken over and done a wonderful job so far you know, mm -hmm. know spent a few months but yeah. Huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so I guess like we've talked now about like the priesthood and all of that I think uh, now it'd be like a great time to just talk about like I just just general things about like but like the Catholic faith and like mm -hmm. certain things like changes that might arise and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been like recently seeing that, uh, you know, Pope Francis has like started to get like hints at like allowing like priests to, to like marry. What are your thoughts on that? Well, he has, yeah, he hasn't, um, so he hasn't allowed anyone, no, he hasn't allowed anyone to marry, the priest to marry. He, there is, I mean, in the Catholic Church, there is, we're part of the, what's called the Latin Rite, the Western Rite. So our priests, we have the tradition of celibacy, so we don't get married. But believe it or not, in the Eastern Church, the priests can get married before they're priests. So when I went to school, I studied with guys from the Ukraine, the country of the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny in their seminary room, like some of the guys had pictures of their girlfriends on the wall. I'm like, hey, you have a girlfriend? <laughs> but yeah, because they can get married before they're ordained a priest. So they don't have that tradition of celibacy, whereas we do. Um, so that's something, it is called a discipline of the church. So it, it could change. I don't foresee it changing because I think there's such a value of, of celibacy and chastity. And um, because once you're married, you, the, Many people think in the terms of, oh, these poor priests are deprived sexually and this and that, they live by themselves, you know. But they don't realize that when you get married, that it's, marriage is much, of course, more than that. Than you okay. have, especially if you have kids, family. So you're going to be divided. So if people complain now that you're not seeing them enough in the parish, not spending time with them, and then you have a family on top of that, you're really going to be divided. So, yeah. um, so personally, I, don't, I wouldn't think it would be a good idea at all. And I, 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 one thing I, about that is I don't want to get married. 
because um, a lot of times people want us to stay married. They don't ask us. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get married. You know, and it's not that I don't like women. I'm attracted to women, but it's, you know, and I see a beauty of having a family and that. But it wasn't my calling, you know. And so, so I didn't. It's not what God has called me to do. He's called me to be a priest and be and be married to the church. We are married to the church as priests and a spiritual father to many here, more than I could have physically with kids. You know, and so. So yeah, so I think that um, I I think the tradition is gonna keep going. Some people say we need married priests because we have a shortage of priests, but I don't think that really addresses. It. I think the shortage is because of really the lack of faith. Because just looking at parishes, how few yeah. people go to church anymore. You know, so so it's not like married priests are gonna have all these people start coming to church. You know, um, so yeah, so I don't think it's a solution to anything, and I think it would actually cause more confusion and all that. Um, so I'm I'm fine just being married to my spouse, the church. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. So obviously it's June. I think yeah. um, we know it's it's like Pride Month around yeah. and all of that. Um, obviously, I mean, it, you know, I we know that like the Catholic Church obviously like is open to 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 that, those people, the LGBTQ community. Like, what would like you personally say to those people to like in regards to like coming to mass like what would you tell like the community well i say obviously anyone's always welcome to come to any masses you know like sometimes you'll see churches in the bulletin or outside saying everyone's welcome here and like uh there's a place actually down the street uh lorraine fabrics on mineral spring when you go by there's a sign that's been there forever and it specifically says who's welcome (laughs) and it says hispanic black lgbtq and I go by and I'm like, it doesn't say white, Italian, it doesn't say, it doesn't, I guess I'm not welcome, you know what I mean? Just as a joke, you know? But see, I don't think we need to do that. Like, I think that no one's ever not welcomed anyone. Now, the difference is, is, is the lifestyle. So I've been in the past few weeks in my homilies because I've been specifically mentioned how we must defend marriages between man and a woman. This is the way God designed it. And so not everyone's going to like to hear that, you know, and especially during this month of June when they... they but what we have to, I think, get back to is God didn't create people. He created them male and female simple. He didn't say, you know, you're, I'm going to create you white, black, Hispanic, Asian. I'm going to create you with this sexual desire, that sexual So I think when we start identifying people by their sexual desire, rather than just treat them as we would say children of God. You're either a son or daughter of God. So like when people come to the church, someone could come up to communion and be actively gay. And I don't know that. And I really don't need to know that, you know. I don't want to know that, to be honest with you, <laughs> you know. So to me, it's like I just think the more we keep on identifying people by either their sexual desires or by their skin color, I don't think that's what we should do as a church. I think we need to start seeing people as they're human beings, God created, male or female, and they create them in His image and likeness. And then I think once we do that, so that's my biggest. I wish we could start getting instead of keep on singling people out, because for example. We have a lot of stuff going on in this neighborhood here. I remember one time a kid was doing drugs over here, and I told him to get out of here. I'm going to call the police. And he, he said I was singling him out because he was black or Hispanic. I don't know what he was, black or Hispanic. I said, no, I'm singling out because you're doing drugs by a church. I don't care what color skin or what you, language you speak. But this was, that's what's happening more and more is people are identifying themselves by, by their skin color and this and that. Um, it doesn't mean we can't take pride in our nationality. Like I love to say I'm Italian, of course. Um, you know. But, but I'm I'm a, I'm God's son, you know. Like you're God's son. So so yeah. And, and long and short of it is, I just wish 
I don't understand this whole thing with the, I, given a whole month to, to people and their sexual desires is a confusing to me, and I think it just forces this attitude by identifying someone by their sexual preferences. You know, like for example, is there heterosexual, uh, heterosexual month? Yeah. You know, is there a couple month? Like my parents who have been married 53 years this year, do they get a month for themselves? You know, so, <laughs> you know and some people say, well, they're not persecuted, that, that, that. But I don't, I don't see that either. I don't see, in fact, if anything, you look on TV right now, everything, commercials, all that, everything's pushing this pride agenda. Yeah. So I don't see where anyone's being persecuted or being stoned or being ostracized, you know. Um, but people do get upset because, especially with the church, because when we do say that we don't endure same-sex behavior, just like we would say to a, someone who weren't married in the church, a husband and wife, you shouldn't, I mean, a, a, a guy and a girl don't have sex, you're not married. People don't like when you tell them that, that yeah. their actions are wrong. You know? so, yeah. But I think it is important to kind of like, like I guess like talk about the fact that we're all equal. I think that's yeah, key yeah. now, especially like yeah. with like everything that's going on like in in the country to to say that like the Catholic Church is open to to everyone is is important. Oh, yeah. And we've never been closed. That's the thing. Anyone's welcome to come in. You know, there's a thing we always say: you love the sinner, you hate the sin. So everyone's loved no matter what. But it doesn't mean that their like behavior is going to be approved. So, so some if someone comes in here, say who is struggling with their sexual, uh, whatever it may be, maybe some some guy's got a always looking at pornography on the internet, uh, or this person has a same sex attraction to another person. Say you know, it so they might not like the message. You know, for example, when the reading comes up from Genesis that God created man and woman in his image and likeness and he said the two shall become one you're never going to find in the scripture that God said I created man and man and the two become one so God will never approve of that so because of that people will think well I'm not welcome this and that no everyone's welcome to come at any time they want into the church um, but it doesn't mean that your behavior is going to be approved just like when I was younger my parents loved me but when I went out and got drunk or this and that, they weren't like, oh, that's okay that you did that, you know. They, no, what you did was wrong. You could have put people's lives in danger by driving drunk. Like they, they, you know, so it's kind of, it's always the difference between the actions of people and people themselves. So everyone's always welcome, but it doesn't necessarily mean that people's actions, that they're going to like the message. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So going back to like what we talked about almost at the beginning, like you saying like you know like the like the Hispanic I guess community here like sometimes they don't come out to church every single yeah, week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you like think of those people that like come casually and don't come every single Sunday? Because I know that that you're you're very adamant on people coming each Sunday and obviously like yeah. like kind of like being part of the mass each each week. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's. I mean, that's one of my goal as a priest. People don't get like. Because a lot of times we're told, don't judge, this and that, da 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 And I'm almost, and, and so I'm like, what do we do? What do we say then? Like, if we can't, if, we, if, we're, not, if we're not given the Ten Commandments and, and with Jesus' teachings, then what are we supposed to do as priests? That's our whole job. And our whole job is trying to get people to heaven. First, ourselves. That, that, and that's going to be a big job because we're responsible. The more we know, the more responsible. We better be living a Christ-like life. Which is hard. Like this morning, I went running, and these cars are going through stop signs, and I'm yelling at the cars. I wasn't yelling any profanities or anything, but <laughs> but like if someone's throwing like that's a priest going like this, what are you doing? That? You know, but so, but it's one of those things that I think that um, the it's I just try to get people to see the importance. Like when you're not 
going to church each week, you're missing out. Like God speaks to us every week through his word. You can, and you can receive communion. So when people don't go to church, they're missing out. And, and, and so it only helps you. You know, now ultimately, if someone doesn't come, someone could be missing from church for two months and come back. We're always going to welcome that person in. And the best is when they come to confession. I hear confessions. I can't, of course, say the confessions I hear, but, but it's some beautiful confessions how some people, oh, it's been four months, I haven't gone to church. And my first words to them will, will be, welcome back. And I, and I said, right, right now, God's going to forgive you and you're starting all over again. So try to get back in the practice of going. So that's why we try to encourage people. We want them to realize the importance of their life that faith should get. And we're not on this life earth forever. So like someone's not going to church, not going to church. And then, I mean, we're all going to die. That's a guarantee in life. Yeah. And so, you know, why not do everything possible to do that? You look at train like people, athletes. Imagine if they said, well, I'm not going to train this week or that week, even though I have a game coming up. Well, they probably, the coach would probably bench them. You know what I mean? So, so spiritually, this is our training. Getting ready for eternal life by praying every day, going to Mass each week, receiving Jesus in communion, going to confession. So, yeah, so that's my goal. I mean, it does upset me because I, and also, as I mentioned, we're a parish family. So when you don't see people week to week, it's like, what happened to you? Where have you been? Just like if you don't see a family member for a while, what's going on? Are everything all right in your life? You know, so, yeah. yeah. Because it, it only should benefit people here by coming to church. Yeah. So I guess now, I guess now that I kind of talk about like all these like I guess general questions, I guess I wanna like talk about my own questions that I guess yeah. I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, so personally, obviously knowing like I've I've seen like this church for like so many years, like I grew up here, I was basically born here, yeah. and like I don't know, I've always thought like how like do you like like get so accustomed to like living in such a big church? Like, do you ever get scared living here? Like, uh, that's a great question. Actually, I'm not, no, really, I, I don't. And I think a big part is I have my dogs. And yeah. not that they're the most, they're great dogs, very friendly dogs. Like I said, they're 15 years old. One's 15, like about the other, the other one's about to be 15. So in human years, that's like 100 year old, so I got here, you know. Um, so, but I don't, I, yeah, I think I don't, I don't really feel, I mean, my, one of my biggest things is, and you live in this neighborhood, so you kind of yeah. know, there's so much that goes on in this neighborhood. Yeah. And a lot at night, um, I mean, I could go on about the, the people doing drugs behind the bush right over here, outside the front door, peeing in the parking lot, right? Like, there's just so much stuff that happens here. Um, and, and just a few weeks ago, we had a guy, while Mass was going on, take my keys out of my pocket, try to enter into the church. So, that, now he had the keys for a few days before I was able to get the locks changed. So, was there, there was a little fear there. I wasn't as much afraid of the guy, just that he could go in the church at any point and do, who knows what he could take there. Yeah. So I don't think I have much personal fear as much as um, I just, I'm trying to, as I'm responsible for the property here and everything we have. And so I think that's my biggest thing is that making sure people don't disrespect it. But more and more you're seeing people just don't care. They're throwing the trash in the yard, this and that. So it's just, so I don't think as much as fear is it's more like I just wish there was more justice around here and the police were more active (laughs) and not coming just after something happens. Because even that guy who stole the keys, he comes back the next day and was across the street. And, and I, I called the cops. They searched him, didn't find the keys. They let him go. And I said, how are you letting this guy go? Oh, we don't, uh, the detective, I have video of it. Oh, the detective will be in touch with you. And even with video, showing him taking my keys, you know. So it's just one, that's, I, yeah, the lack of justice around here is one of my, it's a big uh, problem. And it actually does affect me 
on a daily level in the sense that I wish I could let go more and not, like I, we have cameras now, so when I'm charging my phone upstairs, I usually always have it open to the back here so I can see what's going on. So sometimes I can be consumed by that. Like I see a car pull in the park a lot and I'll come quickly down here like, what are you, what's this person doing in the park, you know? And so I, I don't wanna have that anxiety. And so I think if I was in another parish that wasn't in a city like this, that was more like a residential neighborhood, that would take away a lot of that anxiety, yeah, you know? But, but it is what it is. This is where I've been assigned, so I make the best of it. Yeah. 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 So you know, we all we obviously talk about how like you always you know two dogs, trooper and Mary. Yeah. Um, how does it feel having dogs as a priest? I feel like I don't know if I've really heard of any priests. Maybe maybe I'm not my my recollection, but of anyone like around like the like the like at least our diocese like having a, a like a like dogs like, why did you decide to like mm-hmm. have? Well, one, I've always been an animal person. I love animals. And I didn't grow up so much with dogs. I did have a few. We had a dog, Snowball, when I was really young. And then then we had one, Jack, later on at West Highland Terrier. Um, But then when I was a Franciscan, we couldn't have him. We did have a cat to catch the mice in the South Bronx. (laughs) And in Honduras, we had a Rottweiler, uh, crazy. His name was Oso, which means bear in, in English. And he was nuts, and, but he, I got along great with him, but he really protected, people were scared of him, he protected, because there, there was a lot of theft there in Honduras. Um, but, so I loved it, so when I, first thing I did, when I got to the diocese in 2010, as, uh, um, oh no, the first, I shouldn't say that, because I was an assistant pastor for a few years. First time I became a pastor in 2013, that same week is when I got Trooper, my dog. Oh, wow. um, he was already four years old, I rescued yeah. him, and so I just love him, the companionship, total love, unconditional love. Um, and so then about four years ago, after Trooper was now 10 years old, and I, I found this dog, Mary, at a rescue event. She was a 10-year-old dog, just had puppies. No one wanted the, uh, her, but they wanted the puppies. She got along with Trooper, so then she entered into the family. And so the three of us, you know, I, it's, it's, uh, it's great. Like, I, I think it's wonderful. And Bishop Tobin had a dog, has a dog, oh, and then the new bishop has a dog. Oh, so yeah, so but it is you're right that a lot of priests don't have dogs, which actually I'm kind of like I think they should, you know, because talking about marriage and all that, people think we're lonely and all that companionship. I say get a dog, you know, and you don't have to, you don't have to worry <laughs> complaining or anything like that. Not that wife's complaining, but you know that you just have unconditional love there. You know, you just you take care of them, you learn a lot from them, get exercise, you walk them a few times a day, you know. So there's just total benefit from having, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been a priest for a long time now. Let's yeah, 20 years. 20 years, yeah. What do you think is, like, probably, like, your funniest story you, you can tell, like, of you, like, during your time as being a priest? Oh, 20 years. So, let's see. That's a lot, yeah, a lot of time. Um, oh, and I'm going to have to think about that. Funny, <laughs> my funniest story as a priest, yeah. I don't know. That's a tough one. Maybe... Yeah, maybe we go to another question, and then as as you're, as um, I'll see if I can think of something. Yeah. Uh, if you weren't a priest, because I think like I think a lot of people would would ask this question. Obviously, a priest, mo- most of them might like, they probably won't maybe like have an answer for you. Um, but like, like I like want to ask you like, what do you think you'd be doing at this point? Like, where do you think you'd see yourself if you weren't a priest now? Obviously, you've told me that you kind of weren't in like the best of positions like yeah. before like you decided to be part of the priesthood like what do you yeah. think your life would be like now that's a good question you know when i first went to uri i i, I went into ocean engineering 
and they're like motion engineering. And because I wanted to scuba dive, I love the water, you know. So then I saw all the science courses I had to take, and I don't, I didn't like science, and I, so I quickly got out of that. Then I went to business because my dad's a businessman, and he he did a his that was his job, you know. He worked at Electric Boat and the um, purchasing agent at Electric Boat and General Dynamics. So maybe I would have went into that field with the with the money like that, um, but I don't know because I think once I had my conversion, like I was so lack of direction in my life. I don't really know. I mean, I always wanted to play sports, but you have to have a lot of talent yeah, for that. Yeah. <laughs> so as a five, six and a half Italian, <laughs> you know, that that I, I, that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't able to do much with that, you know. Um, so I think the biggest thing, yeah, I don't know if I actually had a. Um, yeah, what I wanted to do. I mean, I loved animals, but I would I could never give it. I don't like shots, so being a vet was out of the question, you know. Yeah. So maybe I do something with taking care of animals, helping out or something. So I don't really know what I would have done. But if I did, if I wasn't a priest, I obviously would have gotten married and had a kids, and that would be a major role for me. Um, because you know, priests we do love, like I said before, women, and you know, we're, we have that attraction and to have children. That desire is there. Like God creates all that desire, but. It just wasn't my calling, you know. So I see the beauty of that. My my parents raising us three kids, my sister raising seven kids, you know. So I see the beauty of family life and all that. It just wasn't my calling. So I probably would have done that. And as far as occupation wise, I'm not actually not sure. <laughs> not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is a more general question for like everyone like around here, mm-hmm. especially like um. I mean, I've seen like what this generation is like and. Sometimes it, it is kind of crazy to think what it's kind of what our world's gonna look like in, in a couple of years, especially as like you know the generations keep on uh, rolling and stuff. Like, I'm what do you expect from like our like our younger people, like from this new generation? Obviously, not not many of them like are part of like our our, our Catholic faith or or even in religion in general. Like, yeah. what, what do you what do you think? Like, what 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 would you like tell like our our new generation? Yeah, it's a great question. This hope. I mean, that would be the one thing I'd say. There's always hope. I see it with our young people here at the church, uh, altar servers and whatnot. I mean, one thing here that I'm really saddened about is we don't have a youth group. Um, I've always had a youth group. I've always been very active in a youth group. Um, and since we tried it in the beginning a few times with Josh uh, Santos, John Cooney, we've tried different leaders to do it. Um, we're trying to get another one started right now with Elizabeth and, and Bea, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, I used to we used to do once a month go to different places which we did that here in the beginning yeah. um, and I really enjoyed that you know whether it's going to a corn maze whether it's going to um, not what do you call McCoy Stadium there for the Pawtucket Red Sox yeah. so so we do need to have more available here in the church uh, the saddened part too though is a lot of the kids who do come here for the sacraments they come for and then they won't, we don't see them every week after that which goes back to the parents not bringing them you know so in that far part I. It's discouraging, but the youth are always our hope. And so, like, that's something that I think um, I just wanted to all of our young people, you know, just having that relationship with God. God's going to lead you. Um, and then be involved with your parish as when, however you can. Be involved with the different events. I mean, you are. You are very involved here. But yeah. all the servants singing. Well, in any way that youth can be involved in the church helps the community. Because also the older people see that. They realize they're not getting any younger. Yeah. I mean, our English-speaking group is very small. 430 Mass is like 20 people, 30 people. There's no youth hardly at that Mass at all. Um, so it's getting a little better than 930. 1130 we always have because of the families and stuff. Yeah. But So I just, the youth stay close to God, come to the church, be involved in the church. And then for us priests and trying to get, 
kids involved. That's always should be a goal, you know, because if you don't have that, then you're gonna have a sterile church. You need to, you need to keep raising the young generations to know and love God. And unfortunately, in our day and age, there's so many mixed messages they're getting, even in their schools, uh, even at home. So we only have the kids. When I had them, for, like I teach to confirmation, and so I only have one hour a week, and then the mass maybe another hour. But that leaves you 166 more hours in the week where you're, whether it's family, school, friends. So there's a lot of influences out there that are not helping young people. Yeah. So we trying to be a positive influence here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just in, in general, like how we talked about, like just like the like the, the youth. But I think like even at like a broader scale, like just in general, like just people in the world, like. Obviously, I think like we we've seen that like the Catholic Church has kind of diminished in terms of people coming yeah. to church each Sunday and stuff like that. Like, what would be your message to like even people like maybe even agnostic people or people that maybe like don't think too much of, about God or, yeah. at 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 this moment like like maybe even like a message to kind of like invite them here. Like, what would you tell them in yeah. terms of like our Catholic Church and um, and inviting them to. Part to the young people, or, and, or in general, general, yeah. Well, no, I think just come be part of it. You know, there's a, there's a lady that's been walking her dog around here. She's a neighbor. A lot of people have dogs, but I've been in discussions with her. A very friendly person, and um, and so it turns out just just through the just talking with her outside and stuff that she starts coming to church on Sunday mornings. She's um, never been baptized Catholic. She baptized in a Protestant church, so she wants to begin the RCA program in October and be back up uh, first communion confirmation make her first confession before that so so with that for me like that's that's the goal right there like trying to get people even in our own neighborhoods trying to get people to come into church to, and like she said she, she she said to me i really enjoy coming to church I, as a priest i can't think of a better thing to hear when people say i enjoy coming to church and not so much because of anything i'm doing because the the priests are just supposed to offer the faith to people, offer Jesus, and then let Jesus do the rest of the work. Um, so the fact when someone says that, that's the, that's a great joy right there. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be my message is just come. Every, people come. The more people are involved, the more they make up the church. Like we just had our feast of John the Baptist, and we had the lunch downstairs. And so when people come together like that, not only to pray at Mass, but then come together to have food together. Uh, we had our yard seal. We do different events. We should do more events, but like those are things that um, make the church better, make the parish. Mm -hmm. And then when you, then when people hear about that, like, oh, look at this community, they're really living their faith, you know? Yeah. 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 I think, uh, well, I guess probably one of my last questions if, before we go back to the question that we Yeah, asking, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, obviously, I think like now, when, like, you know, since I guess we, we like sports and stuff like that, mm -hmm. now it's like, it's been interesting because there, there have been a lot of people that kind of have like, voice like their own like faith in sports yeah, and stuff like yeah. that like how does that make you feel obviously like seeing that like them voicing themselves or like i don't know maybe even like writing a bible or someone like putting it up on the crowd or yeah i don't know or just painting a cross on on, on their face or i don't yeah. know even like putting some some type of like scripture writing somewhere on their cleats yeah. or something like that i love it i love it because i think those are all different ways of getting the message out there i mentioned one time in a homily a joke about like how people usually do that when the something good happens so they hit the home run make the sign of the car when they strike <laughs> out they're not going to do that you know, or miss a goal in soccer or they score you know yeah. but um but i think the more i do think you see that faith i love seeing that because any expression like the big thing is when that football player from cincinnati fell 
and almost died on the football yeah. field. And the whole, everyone knelt down. And you saw at that moment how everything stood still. A person's life was in danger and everyone went to God, you know. So as sad as I want to thank God, he recovered. But, yeah. um, but that, was, that shows right there, I think, the power of faith in sports. Like everyone, even if people are trying to say, don't, don't do this, don't kneel, don't pray out loud, don't say Jesus. Like that moment, look what happened. In a time of need, it's just instinctive for us to go to God. And everyone's begging for that for that man to be okay, and thank God he he is, and he's recovering and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah. yeah and I don't know. Go back to that funny. I, I don't know if I can think of an exact moment. I think as far as that goes, I think just a night, different interactions with people. Because a lot of times people have their image of what a priest is supposed to be, and so when they see you, like I like to play sports or do things like that, they kind of are surprised by that. So I think I've had a lot of funny moments in that regard. People. Uh, get surprised that we're actual human beings yeah, <laughs> and we have our weaknesses and sins and those shine yeah. sometimes you know and some more than others and they give scandal to the church but there's a lot of funny moments that I've had as a priest where it's people just are surprised oh well, that's a priest wow and, and, he's, and he's doing that or he's doing that you know so I think well, yeah we're just regular guys but God called us to be his his, his, his ministers to help people of course yeah. Yeah. and I guess the last question that I'll ask you to just finish this off and yeah. of course thank you for allowing me to have this interview with you it's, yeah, it's yeah, been special sure. to kind of have yeah, like, you, you know right, opening right. up the, to someone that I, I care a lot about and yeah. stuff like that what is the legacy that you want to leave here on earth I think it's a very broad question but I think it's it's one that I think sometimes we don't even ponder as much you know just because I think we're moving so much but like yeah. what, what do you think I think basically, like I kind of mentioned in this interview, that I've hopefully brought people to love God and to think about heaven and their eternal salvation. You know, like that's the goal as a priest. So I hope they can see beyond any weaknesses I have. And I have them. I have impatience. I get angry. I get upset. I have different problems, you know, that I'm, I deal with each day in prayer. But I hope people can say, okay, he loved God and he, he, loved, he wanted to bring you closer to God. And maybe some people thought that was, oh, that was a too strict way of doing it or this or that, or he didn't smile or this and that. You know, well, maybe I was having a bad day, you know, who knows. But I hope my legacy will be that I brought people close to a relationship with God and ultimately to heaven. Because that's what I can say for the priests in my life that have influenced me. Like, they've done that. They had that influence in my life. So that's why I hope my lasting legacy is that I was a priest of God, that I did what I was called to do. I tried to lead by example with words as well, lead people closer to Christ and the kingdom of heaven. Alright, Father, I think that was like a really beautiful way to end this off. Yeah, that's, that's so, perfect. Yeah, yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you yeah. so much for, obviously, allowing me to um, have this, obviously. Uh, just for people so that you guys know, um, this uh, will be, I guess, redacted to an article each Friday. Mm -hmm. And uh, also will be available for your own listening if you want to hear the unedited uh, uncut version um, uh, every Friday to uh, be a podcast. So uh, thank you guys. Thank you, Father, obviously, for being welcome, here. Yeah. Um, I guess that was the first edition of uh, Diego's Fridays. Thank you, everyone. And um, yeah, see you next Friday. Excellent. Amen.